Welcome to the Success IQ Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 24. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever you are in the world, I truly hope you are having a fantastic week. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another week episode of the Success IQ Podcast. We have got another fantastic guest lined up, Thor Holt. And to be honest, anyone with a name like Thor just deserves to be on the show, to, uh, to be honest. It's such a cool name. So Thor is, I was introduced to Thor from Chris Marr and said that he had, he was a, a great guy. He was highly recommended for the show. And I chatted to him, saw what he's done and a little bit about him. And I thought, you know what, he would be a fantastic fit for the show. So what can we say about Thor? Well, Thor's an executive coach, he's a trained actor, and he's a former TEDx speaker who believes everyone should be free to make a bigger impact. In 2011, he founded a communication training business to serve the energy, legal, higher education, and entrepreneurial sectors. A previous workshop leader at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, also known as MIT in Boston, Thor assisted technical startup teams with their pitching. And in August 2013, he was invited to become an entrepreneur in residence at the Technology and Engineering Hub. He recently joined forces with ex-FTSE 100 CEO and Chairman of Scottish Enterprise, Bob Keller, to deliver business storytelling masterclasses around Scotland. Thor has a keen interest in global politics and interviews interesting writers and thinkers for the Writers with Courage iTunes podcast. His proudest moment of 2017 so far was to interview Claire Fox of BBC's The Moral Maze, his favourite radio show. Do you know what? It's, he's done so much and he's got such a great story that I just want to say, Thor, welcome to the show. Cheers, man. I don't know how long we've been talking because I don't have my call recorder on. Usually I'm watching my call recorder every now and again. We've been talking 12 minutes and 24 seconds, but they they may hear that. They may not. We'll see. So- Feels like a lifetime. <laughs> Feels like a lifetime. So, Thor, <laughs> tell us a little bit about you know your journey into how you got to where you got because it's a really interesting journey. That's one of them. They're dangerous open questions. I could go down all all number of rabbit holes. Keep it clean. <laughs> Oh, really? Is this a clean show? Okay, hang up. Frank caller. <laughs> oh, how did I get here? Good question. So just kind of for clarity, I, I guess I'm a coach. I say I guess because it's one of those titles where you say, people say, what do you do? And you say coach and they just yes. look at you slightly blankly and then they ask if you coach basketball or something. Step back. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I say, they say, what do you do? And I say, I listen to people for a living. And then they, there's an assumption that you're a like some kind of psychotherapist, yeah. like Tony Soprano's therapist in in The Sopranos or something, yeah. <laughs> and that can get, that can go that can get funny as well. <laughs> but how did I get here, oh, man? But my wife asked the same question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess ever since, certainly ever since university, I have worked in the coaching field in some form. Hmm. Uh, before that, I had a, I had an inkling. I thought I was going to join the Marines. But to be honest, I would have been a dreadful soldier. Firstly, I'm ill-disciplined in terms of taking orders from other people. I have a very strong kind of freedom focus. And although I love encouraging people, I don't know if I'd like to shoot to order. I'm not saying that's all they do. Of course it isn't. Yeah. But I, I genuinely, I think I would have struggled with that. And also, yeah, I think I'd have got homesick. 
I'm, I just don't think I'm tough enough for that life. So although I, I managed to pass kind of one of their physical tests, a potential officer course when I was maybe 18, I'd failed one badly at 16. And then I passed, passed one at 18, but they wouldn't give me the sponsorship I was after for university. So I kind of said, thanks, I'll maybe get in touch after university. And then at the end of university, my eyesight had failed. I like to say it was because I was studying and wearing contact lenses, but it was really because I was out on the bevy till about three in the morning wearing my lenses, I think, and it ruined my eyes. <laughs> They're probably still there. Just in the back. Say again? They're probably still there in the back. Well, it's funny you should say that. There was this one day I woke up and I was like, oh, it's awesome. I can see, but hold on, I can only see out of one eye. <laughs> I thought if I had some kind of miraculous recovery. <laughs> but what actually happened, you know, obviously I'd got hammered, left yeah. a lens in. Yeah. Uh, the other one was gone. So I was hunting around for the other one. Eventually, my flatmate spotted it. It was a little shriveled up thing in the heater. We had this electric bar heater in this peasant flat we lived in. So I got it out and just put it back in some water and let it rehydrate. But of course, it had yeah. been out all night. So it damaged the, I guess, the matrix, the, the kind of the flesh of the lens. Because yeah. it was a, a, a liquid filled, dispos- not disposable, like a monthly replaceable lens. Yeah. So I thought that'll be fine. And anyway, that's probably why my right eye is worse than my left, because I then wore it for another month <laughs> before going to the optician and being told, in no uncertain terms, this thing's uh, wrangled, mate. You shouldn't be wearing that. <laughs> anyway, so after university, I I didn't go at the Marines. As I say, my eyesight had failed, and I would have made an awful soldier anyway. And I, I just didn't really know what to do with myself. So I, I moved from where I was, Stirling University. I went to Aberdeen. I didn't want to go all the way home to Shetland because... I guess that would have felt like a failure at the time, just going straight home. And I, but I had no idea what to do. I mean, looking back on it, I wish I'd traveled the world or something. But I went to Aberdeen because my big brother lived there and worked in the oil industry at the time, and I could get a free place to lay my weary head and go out and party and go to the gym and just take a few weeks to think about things. And the next thing you know, you get settled somewhere. So I ended up working as a gym instructor, then personal trainer, built a reasonably successful practice. Uh, Kind of got headhunted actually because of a client I'd worked with to be the head coach at a, um, for this part of the world, pretty exclusive health and country club, mm. which is where I had my first experience of attempting to speak in public. I hadn't really ever done a public speaking engagement of any sort. I mean, I guess I'd done a little, I tried to talk on that Marines course, but other than that, I, mean, I never did it at university, never did it at school. And it was one of those odd things. I volunteer for things all the time, Jeff. So, it just felt totally natural when the, the management said to me at this place, they said, Thor, we've got this opportunity for you. Always be wary of people bearing opportunities. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. So uh, they said, hey, yeah, we've got this opportunity for you. You can be a part of this thing. It's called the Feed Your Mind Supper. So you come in and you speak after dinner for our you know, high net worth members. And you never know, you might get some new clients from it. So I thought, well, that sounds great. And yeah, I'm up for anything. I'll do it. So it was maybe three weeks away. And each day I would wake up and it would be more and more heavily weighing on my mind. And by the final week, I started thinking, I really better prepare something here. I have no idea what, what I'm going to do here. And then on the final day, I was just, you know, you said keep it clean. I was bricking myself. I mean, I was terrified. I'll be honest. So yeah. I've done some crazy things in my life, but that for some reason felt scarier than anything else. I, I don't know why. Hmm. Well, I didn't know why at the time. And um, I, I had this odd, nearly out-of-body experience driving to the venue along this beautiful country road with trees on each side. I was in this old Land Rover Discovery I drove at the time. And I started kind of semi-fantasizing, semi-calculating what speed I needed to be going to hit those trees. 
to get myself hospitalized uh, to avoid getting up on stage. And I have to admit, it wasn't anything heroic like thinking, death before dishonor, I'll, I'd rather die than present. I wasn't that scared. Yeah. <laughs> it was more like a bit of light whiplash would have been good, just yeah. something to <laughs> keep yeah. me out of circulation for the evening. But uh, obviously I bottled that as well. And I went, got to the venue, got up, did my thing, but it went by in a haze of terror and yeah. trauma. And I, I just, I felt awful. And, you know, I actually got a couple of clients from it, so it can't have been that diabolical unless they just took pity on me. Yeah. Possible. Well, whatever whatever strategy works, really, isn't it? Whatever works indeed, Jeff. <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm going a kind of long-winded way about this, but basically I hadn't even presented at that age, so I guess I would have been mid-20s then. And roll forward many years to my more like my mid-30s. By that time, I'd been to drama school. I'd had an early midlife crisis, been to drama school, done a bit of work as a professional actor, including the highlights being Crime Watch. I, I kid you not. Okay. <laughs> I was in an episode called Nigerian Scam, and there was a, uh, a Nigerian actor in a Mercedes who I had to chase around London in a pursuit car with two BBC cameramen in the car. But they didn't have a framework, so they kept shouting at me to drive more smoothly. Have you ever driven smoothly chasing a Nigerian in a Merc around London and hip traffic? It's hard. It's not something it's, you get prepared for, really, is it? It's very difficult to prepare for it. Although being brought up on a croft and driving a tractor around as your only mode of transport from a young age probably did help. I never thought yeah. of that. <laughs> anyway, where was I? So uh, uh, where, where did I get? Oh, so yeah, in between times, in between these two experiences, I'm getting around to how I ended up working as a presentation and pitch coach, which is yeah. what I mainly do to pay the bills and get some holidays going on. Um, well, mid-30s and... Despite having been to drama school, I mean, you'll have seen it at the Oscars. You get professional actors obviously stand up there and they yeah. can't necessarily give a coherent speech. So it, no. the two things aren't necessarily connected, although people often make that assumption. Mm. Uh, what acting does, having been a professional actor, brings to my presentation coaching is a level of discipline getting people ready for a performance. But in terms of a direct crossover, I don't think there is one. <clears throat> but um, yeah, in my mid-30s, I guess, with a kid on the way, I realized that I was maybe early 30s. I, with a kid on the way, I realized I needed to get serious about my then business, which was still the personal training coaching business, alongside bits and pieces of acting. I was getting acting work, but it takes a lot of auditions to get a piece of work, which mm. is not, not economical. You think two grand for a morning's work doing a commercial is good until you work out that it wasn't you know, 200 pounds an hour or whatever you thought it was because you had to do 10 auditions and study for a week to, to get it. So it was actually 20p an hour or something. Yeah, yeah. So um, I kind of was looking around and trying to work out what was the best way to kind of market my business and give things a boost. And one of the things that kept occurring was that speaking in public was a good idea. And I was thinking, no, it isn't <laughs> after the last time. And so I went and asked for some advice, which is what I would tend to do nowadays. In those days, I was obviously a smart ass who thought I could just work it out myself, hence the trauma. Yeah. So I went and asked the chap I knew at the gym who was a very competent, very well-regarded public speaker. And um, he said, aha, I've got something for you, buddy. And he seemed awfully awfully pleased about this situation, considering I just expected a book recommendation or something. I got this email. Great. So I got this email with Thor's challenge in the subject header. And as I read down the email, basically the hairs on the back of my neck stood up because I realized that the challenge wasn't to speak at a local Rotary Club or to read a book on presenting. It was to go and speak in front of 100 of Scotland's business leaders. And I do mean business leaders and the real sting in the tail was 
it was in seven days' time. And I realized why he had been grinning and saying, I've got something for you, buddy, because I was getting him out of something. He needed to substitute is, is the, the long and the short of the story because he couldn't do this event. So I had a week to prepare an after-dinner speech on a social entrepreneurial topic to deliver to 100 Scotland's business leaders, the Archbishop of Glasgow, the Commonwealth Games Committee, and Glasgow City Council's leader as well. And I have to admit, yeah, I was pretty terrified. I was getting yeah. that old feeling of fear and do I have any trees to crash into? <laughs> <Coming back. laughs> I need to find a forest. I do need to find a forest quick, yeah. I had a less rugged car by then, so I would need to work that into the calculations. <laughs> um, the good thing is this chap didn't leave me entirely in the lurch. He was a generous individual, and he he gave me a sheaf of notes with a few coffee stains and dog ears mm. from a presentation course he'd done approximately 20 years earlier and said, there you go, son. <laughs> He's a thoughtful chap, this guy, isn't he? He's- now, you know, it's how to present a challenge. Anyway, yeah. end of the week, be fair to him. That gave me process. So I went away and I used that process. And it was a good process. It was a good course. And it was the notes were explanatory enough to allow me to build something pretty decent. Basically, it was a series of stories. Mm. And then at the end of the week, he pressure tested me. He put me through what I planned to say. We did it at the gym in the gym hall. And he then helped me kind of hone my message, took out a few bits, added in a couple of little bits. And, it, you know, if someone was looking for a tip to become more confident as a public speaker, those two things alone, using a process, pretty much any process is better than yeah. no process. And then getting pressure tested by someone you respect and who knows what they're talking about. Between those two things, you, you know, yeah. there's a lot of other stuff, but that is, yeah. to me, it was a pretty essential. So anyway, I went and delivered it. It went really well. It felt more like acting, as in it felt I had that buzz of performance again rather than the terror I'd had the first time. Of course, I was still nervous, but you should be nervous, so that was fine. I got great feedback from it. Somebody actually wrote an email to me afterwards saying, here's a testimonial for you, and it was something like, if it's a call to action you'd acquire, Thorholt is your man, and I was kind of hooked. So wow, yeah. from then on, I did a number of speaking engagements with that gentleman mm. um, who – I actually still work with. We just delivered a business storytelling masterclass this very week on Wednesday together. He's a very, very good speaker, very funny, and uh, yeah, great guy. And he's, I still consider him a mentor to this day. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't want people to think he was a nasty character because he just dumped me with some notes. He's a, he's a good guy. Yeah. He taught, he taught, <laughs> he taught you the best lesson. <laughs> I think he, did. he taught me some really good lessons early yeah. on there. And um, over the period of a couple of years after that, I started getting asked if I would help some people started actually asking me to help them with their own confidence to present. And that was kind of, that was kind of the angle. I started adding it to my coaching stream and that's really how it all started in terms of what I've done. So how did, how did that then take you to MIT? (laughs) Because that's a very, you know, Jim, you know, you, you, you kind of like do that. And then obviously you're, you're off to, off to Boston. Okay, so how that happened was I'd been working with some oil and gas people at a um, at a facility in Sheridan, Wyoming. Okay, out in the Midwest, and one of these characters I've been working with was brokering a deal between certain investors in New York and a big um, oil and gas business in the Bakken. I think it's okay. B-A-A-K. 
K-E-N. I could have misspelled that, but yeah. it was one of the big sale plays. This was a few years ago when before the oil price dropped. Okay. And it was a pretty big money deal. You're talking many, many tens of millions anyway. Yeah. And basically he needed really he needed to hone a pitch. And because we worked together, he asked me if I'd come across well, if we could meet halfway, he said. Now halfway between Sheridan and Scotland, which is where I am. Mm is actually still America because it's a big old place. So we, we decided we'd either meet in New York or Boston to work on this pitch for a few days. Okay. And we both agreed that Boston was a obviously smaller but cooler city and we'd rather meet there. Yep. So I had a we think about that, Jeff. I thought, well, I knew the guy was a, how can we put it? He's a lovely guy, but he's a little bit unreliable. I thought out of these four days he's booked, he's probably going to turn up for two maximum. I thought it'd be good to maximize my own efficiency and use of time while I'm there. What else is in Boston? So I started thinking, quick Google search. I thought, well, MIT's there. It'd be great to speak there. That'd be a great mm. thing to put on my CV. So I cold pitched the guy who was in charge of the uh, the entrepreneurial part of MIT, a guy called Bill Owlett. Um, because he's part of faculty, his email was available online. Right. And, um, I just wrote him a pretty persuasive email, which is something that I uh, have developed the knack of doing. I, I guess I use a similar thinking process to how I would put together a presentation. And um, he replied. I also sent a similar, not the same, but a similar email to someone at another well-known institution there that will remain nameless because yeah. they never answered. So they're not getting no, any they don't. They, don't get, they get no mention at all. <laughs> but he answered and he said, this sounds interesting yeah. because I'd crafted it personally for him and for MIT. And yeah. uh, they said, we'd love to have you come and speak. So I did. And I actually spoke about trust wow. in terms of winning over an investor or, or whatever. And they liked it. And from there, I ended up doing a number of other projects and things with them. Um, and they eventually, this odd thing happened. Bill called me into the boardroom, I guess, meeting room boardroom there. And there were other members of staff there. And this it's the Martin Trust Center for Entrepreneurship, it's called. Okay. And um, he said, Thor, my favorite Viking. I won't try and do his accent. He says, Thor, my favorite Viking. We, in honor of what, what you've helped us with, uh, we, we want to give you this title as an EIR. And I sat there thinking, well, everyone's looking really wowed, like this is a really cool thing. So I was kind of grinning and saying thanks and shook his hand and he gave me a signed copy of his book and everything. And off I went to my flight. So on the way, I'm like Google searching, what's an EIR? Yeah. <laughs> And apparently it's an entrepreneur in residence and it's a big honor. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the list of EIRs at, you know, any big American yeah. institution like that, there's some mega names and I'm obviously not a mega name. Wow. And um, so I felt a little, I don't know, not awkward. I, f I was a bit like, did that really just happened? But it apparently did. Anyway, a year or so after that, I actually took it off my own LinkedIn profile because it was no longer on their website and it, and I emailed him to check whether I'd done something wrong or something. And he said, no, no, it's, they were doing a website reorganization. But anyway, I felt it was, I felt I should just take it off my, you know, just end it on my LinkedIn profile. So you'll see it on there if anyone goes and yeah. wants to connect with me there, which I'd be delighted with. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> but um, yeah, so that was that. That was my uh, projects and work at MIT. Basically, I was working with uh, tech pitch teams and I, I helped some of them get investment, et cetera, um, through the work we did around their pitches. But yeah, I don't, I'm not making too big a deal out of it. It was very satisfying no. yeah. uh, well, as it is working with anyone on a pitch or presentation, actually, yeah. whether I'm working with a, like just now I have a client who's 17 years old trying to get into teacher training school and suffers massive anxiety around 
presenting and meeting adults and but she's got you know there's a lot of potential in this person and well probably like everyone and that to me is just as satisfying if i'm honest as bringing in a 20 million pound deal which i've also done so it's it's the people side of it jeff you know that yeah yeah. it starts with the human element yeah absolutely so so pitching is there are there strategies or um are there specific steps that you can take in order to create a good pitch and how would you how would you sort of go through that that's a great question the answer is only going to cost you two and a half grand plus VAT. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay i guess the place well, the place i would start actually some people might say oh begin with the audience in mind well mm. maybe but i i'd start with the person sitting in front of me or the team telling me that they want to go and pitch or they need to go and pitch i would say why and why you yeah and i just i personally look for a bit of general background which might sound odd but sometimes you unearth things about their career wants or desires or who knows what you'll unearth put it that way so i I tend to ask fairly open questions Mm. of the personal people and get them to explore a little their motivation around doing this presentation at all and that can help later on when things get tough and you're having to apply some discipline and getting them to rehearse multiple times and running bits and pieces of the presentation out of order which is a great idea by the way if you want to be really confident in the pitch take the conclusion run it take the midsection run it take the beginning run it like out of order and then run it in order again okay 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 Um, uh, but yeah, so that that would be my first step. Okay, okay. And um, what about in the sense of nerves? Are there certain strategies that you um, that you find more successful than others in helping people deal with their their nerves? Yeah, definitely. But I do feel I've shortchanged you on not giving you any process on okay. the actually building the pitch. But we can come back to that. Yeah. But nerves, yeah, it's it's one of those. I think the first thing and a huge help for me personally in terms of my own nerves is recognizing that it's perfectly normal. In fact, you should expect it. And if you do not feel any nerves before, mm. at least a major, you know, a presentation of any significance. Mm. Fine if it's to three colleagues, maybe you don't. But in general terms, any presentation or pitch that's worth doing should give you that sense of some kind of nervousness or excitement or tingle or whatever yeah. you're going to call it. And if it doesn't, you're either sociopathic or you're you're just not that interested. And, yeah. and that's a shame. Yeah. So that's okay. the first thing is recognizing that it's perfectly normal and you should expect it. Mm. And I even I consciously think about that before I stand up to speak. I will literally think, okay, I feel nervous. Good. I should feel nervous. And I literally say that in my head. Mm. And I also do a thing where I'll contract my stomach muscles five times. Don't know why it's a magic number. It just is. And I can't even remember where I got that from. I'd love to credit whoever came up with that. Mm. Could have been. No, I can't be sure. Um, Yeah. So that it seems to do something and change blood flow. And it just seems to bring your nervousness level down by maybe 10, 15, 20 percent. Okay. And it's it's just enough to bring you back to kind of working energy because you you want that nervous energy when you stand up. That's helpful. Yeah. But obviously you don't want it to be the debilitating level where you're literally flight or fight, yeah. you know. Yeah. Eyes open, mouth open and that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or yeah. or never yeah, just yeah. frozen in fear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. That's, so that's, uh, that's not ideal. Okay, brilliant. Okay. And do, let's go back to the um to the process. Um, if you could just give us, you said you wanted to go back and just give us a little bit more on the process and then... Yeah, because I was kidding about charging you two and a half grand. I mean, okay. process, the, once you've kind of explored the background and, and why these people or this person are so keen to do this, which mm. is about getting making sure their motivation is fully charged and they're going to be able to overcome whatever they come up 
upon in terms of the preparation process. Okay. Uh, after that, it's a matter of, okay, now who specifically are we speaking to? Even if it's 500 people you're speaking to, yeah, but who are the ideal listeners here? Who are the people you really would like to hit? You're never going to please everyone. Just ask Mr. Trump. You are never going to please everyone. Oh, oh, yeah. But you need to hit – no, but you need to please the right people. Yeah. And any politician worth their salt will tell you that. But in, same in a presentation to a big audience. So in a pitch, it might be easier. Mm. But you don't want to assume that because in a pitch situation, let's say that, I don't know, five people or eight people from the other company are going to be there. Mm. Well, there'll be people in that audience, in that set of people who, who have more influence than others. And it's worth considering that. So there's a whole load of questions I would want to ask. Mm. As For example, one off the top of my head would be, is there a financial implication for this company apart from your fees? But is yeah. there a financial implication and what might that be and who might care about that the most and what might they think and what might their challenging questions be around that mm. and oh by the way that is something if you're short on time mm. just go straight to the challenging questions right this audience i'm going to speak to if they were going to rip me apart and ask me 10 challenging questions about what it is i'm going to talk about what might they be what might they possibly be and then just write a list of them and once you've written them out make sure you've got answers for them Stand up and speak. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be quite a quite a persuasive presentation right there because yeah. you've addressed the really challenging stuff. But okay, yeah. So the first thing is who are you going to speak to and what's the outcome you want? Sounds obvious. A lot of people don't actually think, well, what is the outcome I actually want from this presentation, pitch, whatever it might be, speech. And sometimes with me, like speaking the other day for students, I just want a LinkedIn connection from them if they're even on LinkedIn. Yeah. But that's a metric. I know then how many people have connected with me. And I don't know that they all have LinkedIn. They may not, but I, I know I got our response. Yes. I'm not trying to sell them anything. No. So next best thing for me, you know, I'm looking for a bit of engagement afterwards and to know that they appreciate it. So that's maybe an ask. Yeah. So I would have a, a tiered set of asks, so especially in a business context, because you might go there with the big ask, which is, I don't know, give us the 20 million pound contract. Mm. But maybe during the pitch, you get you get to realizing that that is not happening. And it would be very unlikely to happen anyway, as they ask. There's virtually always going to be other steps. So yeah. consider what those steps are in advance and know when to ask for them. So yeah, your outcome, what is it you want? And, and come up with multiple potential outcomes. And among those outcomes, and a really important one, Jeff, is feelings. What feelings do you want those key or ideal listeners those key decision-making listeners, what feelings do you want them to experience through the presentational pitch and crucially at the end? Because as we all know, any of us that have bought an overpriced car know feelings yeah. cause action. Yeah. The more emotion behind them, the more the more you're likely to not turn them down when they give you the price, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. But I mean, there's obviously much more to it than that. But you, yes, so, of course, yeah. So you work backwards, though, from what are the feelings you want to generate in these specific ideal key decision-making listeners. And obviously, if you try to persuade people, you want to talk about in some way about the benefits of what you're talking about. You want to give them some form of evidence. There's multiple ways of doing that. A saying I got from, I mentioned Peter Thompson earlier. I got this from Peter Thompson, who's a masterful presenter. And he asked this question. He says, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Yeah. Have you heard that before, Jeff? Yes. But do you know the second part of that? No. Really? Yeah, never heard the okay. second part. It's only Americans didn't know that's, the second part. That's the only. That's the only. That's the only thing I say to my kids, and then I stop. So I'll say that, and it's like no. So, yeah. so I don't know the second bit. I, I didn't know the second part either, and I think Peter probably made it up, but I think it's genius. Is <laughs> 
Yeah. You can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. Oh, you can if you put enough salt in his oats. No, <laughs> oh, I like that one. So that, that's what you're looking to do. It's as simple yeah. as that. You're looking to find sources of salt in the presentation to keep them drinking of your presentation, yeah. to keep them moving through the narrative or the structure or whatever it is you're doing mm. in that presentation. Now, what might that salt be? Well, I've done it a couple of times. Ask questions, yeah. pose questions and either answer them or don't. Mm. It's so simple. You think, well, duh, of course, if I ask yeah. questions, people will listen up for the answer. Well, okay, do it then. So yeah. many people never ask a question in a presentation. It's a very strong way to open a presentation with a relevant question. Mm. So questions, very powerful. And that's why I talked about trying to self-generate what the challenging questions are that yeah. any specific audience might have for you, whether it yeah. be a commercial or a non-commercial presentation. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Um, Wow. Questions are a form of salt. Yeah. I bet you can think of more. And one way I can yeah. think, I could probably come up with 20, but it's yeah. more interesting to ask you, what is a memorable or powerful presentation that you have seen or experienced, Jeff? One of the most memorable, there's two that stick to mind straight away. It's Sir Ken Robinson um, on TED talking about um, creativity at schools. Mm -hmm. um, so hold, before we go to another one then, so okay. what was memorable about that? Or um, one, it was the way he was using humour to talk about something that's important and, and something that he was very passionate about. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, it was the, it was more of an English dry humor. It was I, it, more like irony really is what the way he sort of did it, but it was the way he, he didn't let that knock him. He didn't necessarily let the laughs take it away. He mm -hmm. just kind of like made that point and then carried on with his message. I loved, I loved that one. I watched that over and over and over and over again. In fact, all of us. He's got. He's got. Yeah, he's got. He's got three that he talks about in TED, and I have them all saved on my TED. Um, my TED app. Brilliant. So humor is a form of presentational salt. So, what yeah. was the other presentation you? Were the other one was Simon Sinek, and mm -hmm. um, where he talked about the um, the the golden circles, and the thing that it was the one the passion he had when he was talking about it. And the way he could tell, we're going to go, to, I guess, to the story, the way he talked about the story of the way, um, let's say, Dell sold a computer at the time to the way Apple sell a computer at the time um, and how he, how he changed the narrative to demonstrate how they did that. Um, and within that story also, within that talk, he talked about the Wright brothers and some guy who I can't even remember, even though I've heard that talk over and over again, about the the because they were doing it because they um they had a passion about doing it, not yes. because they were doing. I can't remember the guy's name. It was um, I know what you mean, Colonel something or other. But there was yeah. he was he just did it. He stopped the day that they flew because the only thing that motivated him was either fame or money, and because yes. someone else did it, he did it. So it was those things that really, really got me to think about that. So it was story. Yeah, and, and it was his passion, or yeah. I would call that. I I always laugh. Uh, Bob, who is my mentor, Bob Keeler, he he always talks about passion mm. for a presenter, and I say passions for the bedroom, and then he goes, he quips back uh, or grinder. Yeah. <laughs> <But> anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. where, where was I? Oh, I was supposed to give it clean. Sorry, Jeff. So, uh, yeah. So um, I didn't swear. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. So and story. that'll go on. That'll go on several different levels. So that's fine. <laughs> uh, so he, uh, story and yeah. his passion or yeah. energy. Yeah. And also he uses visuals as well. He does, He yeah. 
drawing those circles and he was yeah. live sketching it he didn't just show you some fancy graphic that someone else had produced yeah. he draws it in front of you so you really get the idea that he knows his stuff and he loves his stuff so yeah i agree simon sinek great example of a persuasive and a cracking presenter and presentation i've seen that very presentation and the ken robinson one you were speaking about yeah. so those are all forms of salt and the major one is the one you identified with simon sinek is that passion or energy thing mm. you could be delivering some pretty tedious material but with the if delivered with energy and passion mm. that'll take you a long way now it's obviously it's shouldn't be enough on its own sadly with some politicians throughout history let's yes. not go there yeah but it has been close yeah. to enough yeah. along with some some blunt messaging but yeah, yeah. so um no it's brilliant and i suppose is when you're feeling passion you're creating the feelings in them anyway because if they're yeah. if they're connecting to that to that passion behind you is then there's they're they're thinking and feeling of different things that would stir them hopefully in the right direction hopefully not in the yeah. wrong direction for you well that's funny funny you should mention that because some for some people it will stir them in the opposite direction and i don't know that's not necessarily a bad thing there was somebody mm. who was it maybe grant cardone the american sales guy saying if you can only get half the country to hate you you can be the president and yeah. he's, he's, got a, he's got a point like he has, yeah. whenever you stand up to present i personally that's why for my own podcast right with courage i love the headline quote that i chose from oscar wilde an idea that is not dangerous is not worthy of being called an idea at all so there's an element for me where you want to have a bit of a cutting edge often yes. with a pitch or a presentation it isn't going to be for everyone and that's okay yeah. you know not everyone can be michael mcintyre and and get away with it good yeah. on him though i have a, a lot of time for him yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i suppose it's 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 that marmite approach isn't it it's the it's, mm -hmm. it's you've got to create something that divides in the sense to start a discussion because you always get told that if everyone thinks you're great, then perhaps your message isn't exactly right. There's got to be some sort of sometimes, at least uh, I suppose, in, in that reactive response when they hear something. Yeah, I think so. And there's there's something in that as well about not feeling that you should get their presentation message, the presentational pitch message nailed straight away. As with any creative process, there's actually a lot of elbow grease or work involved so whatever your first version of the presentation is and this is where a lot of presenters i feel go wrong well i know because i haven't worked with them go wrong they go straight to a powerpoint they've used before or they just build a powerpoint and then they try and run it and they kind of assume that because these were their first ideas and they were based on sound evidence or whatever yeah. that must that's it that's their presentation whereas i would say well once you've run it five ten times changed bits reworked your message thought about from this point of view that point of view asked these challenging questions then you might be moving towards a message that is going to work mm. so it's a as i say like with any creative process including writing most writers don't just sit down and you know write a book no. they, it, they go through multiple drafts multiple edits there'll be huge chunks thrown out and you should treat a presentation the same way and for me a really good pitch especially forget presentation for a minute but a specific pitch you really should be starting from first principles pretty much in terms of right who are we speaking to again mm. like what do we want them to feel and why why are we doing this and asking all those questions yeah each the, time the research yeah. sort of thing before you start developing it yeah and if you if you can't research people i mean there's a degree to which you can research people online or you you might go and ask if you're going to pitch a company, you might go and literally ask them questions. You'll have had meetings with them and you can ask them questions then. But if you can't do that, you can often make an intelligent guess as yes. to what they might possibly feel or believe or need or be challenged by.
Mm. So yeah. Well, brilliant. Thor, that's 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 brilliant. Thank you very much for that. So um, what we're going to do now is we're going to go into the second section, which is the questions. Um, which is I ask every single guest on the show these questions, um, really just to find what common traits they have. And it's always quite interesting from from me being quite a nosy kind of character, just to find mm-hmm. out what goes on. So the first question is, is how much time a week do you spend on self-development? Well, how do you define that? So self-development is anything that you are improving yourself on. So it could be um, training, reading, learning something new, um, you know, getting fit is a, is, a, is a sense of development as well. Okay, so if you take it in that broader context, yeah. I would spend, on most days, I would spend at least 30 minutes exercising, and that would be on my mountain bike these days, since I had a leg operation or an old injury. Okay. I find it very hard to run. Uh, I miss it, but so most days I will go out on my mountain bike for at least half an hour. Okay. In terms of the first thing I do when I get up, I'll drink half a pint of water and then have a coffee and do just a few simple affirmations just to put my head in a positive place. As we were discussing earlier with the CBT, yeah. I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I go with, I just write it down a sentence 15 times over, yeah. which when people see it in my journal, get some quizzical looks, but there you go. <laughs> so I'll do that. It takes about 15 minutes. So that's the first thing I do in the day. I'll get up, literally get up. I'll get a glass of a big glass of water and have a coffee and do these affirmations and just, kind of recheck in with what I had planned for the day. So that'll be 15 to 20 minutes. And then I'll tend to either write if I'm up early enough, like this morning I was up at four, so I wrote for about two hours, okay. then went out on my bike and then went and worked with a client. Wow. Uh, yeah, so that's probably, that's a fairly average day. I don't always get up at four, sometimes more like half five, but I do like getting up early okay. and I love coffee. <laughs> yes, yes, me too, me too. <laughs> not sure we can count that as, a, not sure I can count coffee as a self-development or personal development. Well, weapon, no, there well, you go. some people would. Some people would. But, so, <laughs> if I put it this way, if I don't have it, uh, my wife and other people around me would certainly think I needed some personal yeah. development. <laughs> so do you do you, you listen to podcasts often or, or personal development books when you're in the car or anything like that as well? My favorite podcast is Success IQ. Well, well done. I will, send, I, will, I will send the money to you later. <laughs> I, I, do, I actually genuinely have enjoyed listening to your podcast i've listened to a few episodes including the initial episode and yeah uh, i do enjoy it um, partly because you used story in the first one anyway i love stories on podcasts yeah i enjoy podcasts i'll listen to just the ones you might expect like tim ferris yeah. um what else do i listen to there's one success i think it's just success is it's maybe a nightingale conan one right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, a few more off-the-wall ones, some kind of magazines and things I listen to, like this uh, Spiked Online. I love their podcast, and I love their their website and their main guy, um, Brendan O'Neill. I love his writing. He's been on my show, actually. So, oh, yeah, cool. I listen to all that kind of stuff. I don't think I'd call all that personal development, though. That's really no. just stuff I'll listen to while I'm okay. doing some That's fine. Okay, stuff. cool. So second one is, what is your favorite personal development book and why? So that is something that's helped you grow. So some people have used the Bible. Some people have used other things. So it's just something that is a book that you have really thought that's really helped you develop. That is a, is a standout winner. I've read way too many of those kind of books. But the standout winner and the one I would keep if I was going to uh, the proverbial desert island is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl or Viktor Frankl. Oh, I've just been gifted that one by someone. I haven't read that yet. It's on my list of books to read. So, so I've read it a couple of times, and now I've listened to it on audio, 
on Audible, and I would highly recommend if you at all enjoy reading it that you yeah. get it on Audible and listen to it, like in the car or whatever. It's oh, cool. to hear it, to hear it read. Mm. Wow, it's like a, a stomach punch. I mean, it's just a phenomenal book, and anyone that can go through what he went through in the yeah. death camps and Nazi Germany and come out the other end still loving people, having lost his family, etc. Yeah, it's mind-boggling and it's so humbling. I'm yeah. getting used pimples just thinking about it. It's an incredible book. Real excellent. Thank you very much. The third question is: What is your favorite app? Yeah, uh, when you say an app, can we count the iTunes app? on my yes, iPhone. Absolutely. That's the one I use the most. Yeah. Okay. I mean, to me, for. that's the window on the world. I, I just so adore podcasts. Yeah. I, that's the one I use the most, yeah. I'm sure iTunes will be honoured. <laughs> I'm sure they won't give a monkey. <laughs> I like the SoundCloud app too. There you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the fourth question is, what's your biggest business mistake and what did it teach you? I've made so many. But the one that springs to mind is going into business with someone without knowing enough about them or their business just because I loved the idea. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it's one of those things you hopefully learn from, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bad mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so does that, has that made you just obviously more aware? Does It hasn't turned you off from doing that. It's just made you more aware of when you do this, you do more research and look into it more. Um, I think it's, it gave me an enormous sense of, relief once i was out of that relationship right. okay. and I, i'm actually considering another venture i don't know whether it'll happen or not but i'm much more hesitant and cautious about it which is a good thing yes that was on that particular occasion okay cool excellent okay so, question number five is what are your challenges in balancing work and life and how do you manage them now that is a question that should be addressed to mrs h who would give you a brutally honest answer and that would be the end of the interview <laughs> <laughs> don't worry she's next i'll speak to her later on <laughs> no, no, <don't. laughs> all right I'll be, I'll be honest i say yes to far too many things okay so for example i'm i found myself in delhi recently with a charity i support and now i'm it's an anti-slavery charity basically ijm international justice mission and i i then came home and wrote about them i've been out speaking about them i'm doing another event for them now you might say oh very good thor you know mm. polish a halo well yeah but <laughs> I've got loads of other things on as well. Yeah. Other things that also are, they're not all, I mean, obviously that doesn't generate any revenue and, you know, the podcast isn't exactly a, a mind bending revenue creator either. So mm. too, I say yes to too many things and I'm, I'm almost certainly not commercially focused enough. I'll be honest, I would coach for nothing and sometimes do. And mm. of course I don't always coach for nothing, but yeah. yeah, so that's, that's my, Definitely, that's my biggest problem in balancing work and home life. And also, I find it hard to see a dividing line. I would happily yeah. work into an evening when yes. actually you should just switch off at a certain time. Yeah. I know that. I don't always. No, it's actually it's one of the most common things that seems to come up is that is one, when you're doing something that you love, it's very hard to define. And the other one is is that because as a coach, you're generally high in empathy. It's that, yes, I just want to help. But sometimes you don't mm -hmm. stop and listen to that business bit in your head that goes, yeah, okay, where's the money coming from this month? Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a common thing. So question number six is, is what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had had starting out? 
Well, I'm going to answer that with a little story. Okay. I was speaking to my younger brother recently, and he has a business called Greencroft Shetland. I'd highly recommend anyone go check out his website. I don't get a commission on sales. Greencroftshetland.co.uk. And he was telling me this story recently where he'd been taking what he sells, and I'll tell you what that is in a minute. He'd been taking what he makes and sells to a trade show, you know, a trade craft show in the Shetland Isles where he lives. And he'd had a phone call from one of the outer islands, so like 70 miles away or something. And this lady had said, can you keep one of your planters for me? Now, he makes one of the things he makes is planters for plants, you know, to put okay. plants in yeah, like yeah. giant plant pots. And they're shaped like uh, little croft houses. And he has like the patent on them and all this. Okay. They're beautiful. I mean, they're great things. But he said, I'm really sorry. I can't keep you one. This stock will all be sold on the day. Can't you make it? No, I can't make it. And she burst into tears. Okay. Now, what I wish I'd known when I had started out in business is I could say make planters. I'm I'm only half joking. I would I would have a if I was gonna start again, I would have a, a kind of a grassroots think about well what, what does everyone get? What well most people who have any kind of home have a garden. So if you make mm. planters or plant pots or something like that, people just get it. You don't have to explain it to them. Now with coaching, you you often have to explain it. And I'm not saying I regret being a coach. I don't. I love what I do. And I apparently, according to the people I work with and according to some of the commercial results we've had, I'm pretty good at it. But that's that's what I wish I'd known starting out is greencroftshetland.co.uk. It's like because I could have done something like that and then built coaching behind it in some way. I guess I wish I'd started the other way around rather than now mm. looking around to see how I can productize what I do. I kind of wish I'd started with a a yeah. no-brainer product. Don't get me wrong, his stuff's great. It's not like anyone could do it or anything, and it's taken a lot of development. No. But that's what I wish I'd known. Yeah, I guess it's the e-myth if you want a book yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to explain the same yeah, thing. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I'm digging the Viking and axe shields that he sells. Oh, no, don't, for goodness sake, don't don't sell them. Uh, he, he gets really annoyed when he gets more orders because it's so hard to supply all oh, the stuff. If he, if he just puts, don't tell him about the handmade uh, wooden Viking toys, yeah. people will be all over it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm joking. It's brilliant. But I've got a, I've got a clock on my wall, which is a Viking clock made in Shetland, and he's, these are the names around it. It's got obviously the one, two, three, four, five round to twelve, yeah. and it's got things to do at different times of day. So it says one o'clock, build a galley. Uh, three uh, o'clock, uh, set sail, drink mead, invite, invade Britain, plunder, <laughs> worship Odin and Thor. That's why I like it. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So yeah, and handcrafted wooden things, toys, etc. Yes, it's very unusual stuff, but yeah. yeah. People just get it. Well, I'll put, I will put his I'll put his email address on the on the show notes. Nice so one. we'll do that. Um, and the final question is the life lesson question. So what I ask you to do is to pick a number between one and fifty, and these are lessons that I have sort of recorded just recently of what I have learned over the last sort of decade of getting well and starting my own business and stuff. So if you pick a number between one and fifty, and we will see what pops up. Is there a number that more than one person like? Is there a popular number? Uh, the, <laughs> no, that actually, well, so far there hasn't been um, because we've only had sort of seventeen uh, guests on. So there will be eventually. Where I'll go. No, you can't have that one because everyone answers that. But no, nothing yet. <laughs> I'll have my age. Forty-three. Forty-three. So forty-three is awareness. So one of the things for me it was about. Um, the real thing for this was about mindfulness, about understanding that the the actions that and the the only thing I can really do is, is act on what I know up to this point. 
rather than having fear take me about what happened in the past or fear take me about what could possibly happen in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's learning. For me, awareness is power. So when you know how you feel, when you have more skills, everything will help you really move forward in a, in a far better way. And it's whether you're practicing mindfulness or whether you're just practicing journaling or whether you're doing things like the wheel of life or whatever it is it's just about getting some skills and getting your yourself trained into becoming more aware of what is going on so you can make better decisions based on that and i just wonder what you thought on that mm, what i think is i should do it more <laughs> good call i probably need your entire 150 list sent to me <laughs> is that a book, and it, that book? It, it will be yes Yes, cool. it will be. It will be. Because like it. it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, you know, we said this before we started recording. It was, you know, there's so many things that we do know, but it's whether we put them in daily practice <laughs> or, you know, and it's just doing those sort of things. So for me, one of my morning routines is the awareness bit. Even gratitude for me is a state of awareness because it's making me appreciate what I have now rather than actually what I don't have, what I'm pursuing and it just it just centers me a bit more. I tell you what, if anyone ever wants to feel more gratitude for what they have now, they need to try and replicate a trip I did a couple of years ago where I flew from Denver down to Houston, uh, working in America. And uh, the pilot tried to land the plane in a crazy-ass thunderstorm with lightning everywhere and a typhoon warning. And it was incredible, and we didn't get landed. We got on the plane about 7 p.m. and got off at 5 a.m. because we ended up having to divert somewhere else, having been thrown all over the sky, get fueled up somewhere. And uh, they wouldn't let me off the plane. I said, look, I'm only playing golf in Houston tomorrow. Let me off the plane. And they said, we're like 300 miles from Houston, and this airport's closed. We're just getting gassed up. But they said, don't worry. This is the captain speaking to me. It's a pencil jet, small jet. He said, "Uh, don't worry, buddy. I don't want to die either. He says, if if it's like that again, he says, we, we ain't landing. We're going. And he said some other place he was going to die for it too. And the, the first officer was this quite attractive blonde female lady. And when we landed in Houston, she came out of the cockpit and gave me a hug and said, "Are you, are you all all right?" <laughs> but no, but it's it, it, anyway, it's that a, feeling of gratitude. Yeah, when you get off the plane, haven't been on it. Absolutely. For hours, or what yeah. should have been a three-hour flight. Yeah. When you do that, that's. You yeah. feel gratitude. You have some mindfulness. Yeah, and, gra- <laughs> and, gra- and gratitude comes in many shapes and forms. <laughs> Indeed, it does. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, well, Thor, can you um, could you tell us a little bit about how we can get hold of you, how we can follow you, just so the um, the audience can can do that because it's um, it's been a fantastic call. I'm afraid I can't. I'm entirely ex-directory. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you just stick, plug my name, Thor Holt, into Google, I'm the only one pretty much. There's one in um, Norway. One in the West <laughs> States. No, I'm not the, right. you, so, but if you Google it, yeah. you seem to come up with me and this guy who's a tennis pro in the West Coast of America, but I own ThorHolt.com. So that's the first place to go. Mm-hmm. And you'll find my podcast at that address too, T-H-O-R-H-O-L-T.com. I run the Write With Courage podcast, which yeah. is, as it sounds, mainly writers, although we have filmmakers and some other interesting folks on there, some YouTubers. So write with courage, and you'll you'll find that on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, etc. But you'll find the home of it is the website, ThorHolt.com. Uh, Twitter, just my name, at ThorHolt, or for the Write With Courage show, it's Write With Courage, etc. 
except the with doesn't have an I. Okay. Which, if I remember rightly, was due to the character limit. Yes, I know. I, I had the same problem with Success IQ podcast. Doesn't oh, like would. that one. Yeah, doesn't like that no, one at all. It looks like. Place- <laughs> sorry, sorry, Jeff. No, go on. The other places. I was going to say the other place, which is a no-brainer. I love to hear from people. Is LinkedIn. I do write there a little bit, okay. and I'm quite I'm reasonably active on LinkedIn, and I. I love connecting with people there, and if I can ever help anyone in any way via LinkedIn, then that's a good place to connect with me. And obviously, just plug my name into LinkedIn, and I'll come up. Yeah, we'll put all your links on the show notes as well, Thor. So it makes um, makes it easier for people to to find you. Great. Okay, um, Thor. Thanks very much. I've I've had an absolute blast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on your show. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Jeff. Take care of yourself. So first of all, just let me say a huge thank you for tuning in or subscribing to the show. I'm very grateful for that. If you have any suggestions of topics that you would like to to suggest that we have on the show, or perhaps you want to give me feedback of uh, of what you think about the show, then you can send any emails to podcast at jeffnicholson.co.uk. I love hearing from you and your feedback really does help me make the show better. So if you want to find out more about me or how I can assist you to live the exceptional life, then you can visit www.jeffnicholson.co.uk or you can follow me on Twitter, look for GN Coach, or on all other social media sites, I am Jeff Nicholson UK. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you've also enjoyed the show, can I invite you to pop over to iTunes and give us a rate and review as it really does help make the podcast more visible to increase its audience. I look forward to speaking to you next week and I want to take this time to wish you the greatest success. Take care.